Well, I know some of you think I'm old enough to remember when the Red Sea was parted. That's not true. But I did see a miracle yesterday when I was laying on my couch and I saw the Chiefs win a playoff game. That was pretty close to a miracle. Uh, maybe not technically a biblical miracle, uh, but certainly uh, pretty close uh, from my viewpoint. I, I was uh, uh, just a young boy. I was uh, actually uh, seven years old when um, uh, the Chiefs won the uh, uh, Super Bowl, Super Bowl number four. And uh, it was very exciting sitting on my parents' hardwood floor watching the old black and white TV we pushed around on rollers. And I remember freaking out so badly because the guy's helmet came out of the pile and I thought it was, his head came off, which freaked me out for a while. I had nightmares for a while. But I got over that. Uh, but it was really exciting yesterday. Today we're going to talk about worship. And uh, I was thinking about the Chiefs game and how it connects with this. You know, uh, Today we're going to talk about worship and, and, because there's a lot of misunderstandings about it. Uh, you know, we refer sometimes to the musical part of our service uh, as worship. You know, we're going to do the worship part, and then Michael's going to talk. Uh, but listen, worship is not music, okay? It can be. Music can be worship, but worship is not necessarily music. Uh, you know, as I mentioned that big day yesterday, uh, it was a great worship day for those who worship the Chiefs. <laughs> you know, I, now, you know, I, I'm a fan, and, you know, I've got a couple of shirts and a sweatshirt and a jacket and that kind of thing. And I'm a big fan of the Chiefs. But there were people yesterday that were, like, really fanatical. I mean, crazy people. Like, uh, I don't know if you know this guy. He's, he has named himself the X Factor. And he dresses up like that and goes to every Chiefs game. And he's, he's kind of made a name for himself just dressing up this way. And uh, then, of course, there's this guy uh, they call Belly Boy. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen him at the game, but he's at all the Chiefs games, and, and he's uh, kind of a ravenous fan also. And then, of course, this crazy guy that hit the scene yesterday, I'm not sure if that's the ultimate Warrior Chiefs fan or what that is, but that's Pastor Kendall there, if you can't tell behind the, the um, paint. You know, I always find it interesting, uh, the fans will just do almost anything for their sports team. I mean, they will just go nuts for their sports team. And then they come to church, and they kind of act like this. Now, this is probably a little extreme, I know. Uh, but I still find it interesting that people can get so fired up about a guy running a touchdown uh, on a kickoff, like we saw yesterday, running for a touchdown, but they don't get very fired up about Jesus defeating death, hell, and the grave, which we just sang about. Do you not find that interesting? I mean, uh, you know, I don't know whether these people uh, in this picture, I don't know whether they have the most boring church, or I think perhaps there's a gas leak in the building. I'm not sure what's going on there. Okay, And, and we don't have a boring church at all. We're not like that at all. Uh, but folks, I, I, I want us to think today, as we talk about worship, how is it that we can get so excited about a guy that we don't know, who doesn't know our name, running 105 yards for a touchdown. We can go nuts for that, but we sing about God sending his son to be the savior of the world, and we can barely open our mouths. I, I think there's a little disconnect there. So I want us to think about that today, and we're not going to talk about just music, but we're going to talk about worship, kind of the big picture. Because I think we do need to understand that it's much, much, much more than music. First thing I want us to talk about today is this. Worship is the act of ascribing worth or honor. The word worship actually comes from two old English words, uh, worth, W-O-R-T-H, 
and Skype, S-C-I-P-E, not with a Y, okay? And what it means is, it means that something is worth or worthy of giving or assigning a great value. Now, we can worship many things in our lives. We can worship people, places, things. I mean, I know some of you are thinking right now, if, if the, the definition of worship is assigning great value to something that's really worth a lot, we, we might worship our kids. We might worship the creation rather than the creator. We might worship uh, uh, our jobs. We might worship our abilities. We might worship a lot of different things. I think it's something we need to be careful about. And listen, I'm not saying uh, don't view your children as, as worth very much. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is God deserves this worth that's way far above anything else. Way far above anything else. I want you to see what Jesus said and what he modeled when it comes to worship. Look at Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Now, this is when uh, uh, Satan is coming to tempt Jesus. Before he starts his earthly ministry, Satan comes to tempt him. And I want you to see Jesus' response to this. It says, And the devil took him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now listen, I'm not saying you can't uh, be excited about things. I can't, you know, I, I, I can't, I'm not saying you can't uh, show great value to your children or to your spouse. Listen, I was laying there on the couch watching that touchdown run, uh, and, and I jumped up and started yelling. And I thought, I laid down, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to save my voice, because my voice has been a little raspy the last few years. I'm going to save my voice. I'm just going to stay calm during this game, no matter what happens. And then that first play happens, and I'm standing up in the middle of the room acting like a crazy man. Okay? Uh, so I understand uh, assigning some level of, of uh, value to things. And I'm not saying we can't get excited about things. But folks, Jesus is saying here, look, there is one thing to be worshipped way, way above everything else. Way above everything else. And that is God, because he is worth it. He is worthy of it. In fact, he says here, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I think that gives us a little bit of something to think about there. We also see that worship is not only the act of ascribing worth or honor, but it's giving God the glory he rightfully deserves. Now, I've heard some pastors and some theologians say, uh, uh, you can't give God glory because he already has it all. Well, that's not really true. In fact, if you notice in that last passage we read, Satan actually said, it's been given to me. I've been given power over this earth. God has given Satan a certain amount of power over the earth, and Satan has stolen some of God's glory. Now, will he have all the glory? Yes, he will. God will have all the glory. Jesus will have all the glory at some point in history. But we can steal some away from him right now. 
You know, when I see, see a guy score a touchdown, and he does this, and he looks at the crowd. Yeah, look, look at me. What did I do? I think what he's doing is he's saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to look what I did. I did this. It's all me. I deserve this $43 million contract because I'm the best. But he fails to recognize in that moment who gave him those legs, who gave him that ability, and who gave him the opportunity to be in the NFL. Because you see, folks, when we think about all the things that we accomplish on our own, when we really work backwards far enough, we realize that anything we can possibly do of any value in this, on this earth, and especially of any eternal value, it's all come, as if we work back far enough, it's all come because of God's blessing in some way. And so we can steal away some of God's glory. We can take it away from him and try to put it on ourselves for now. But we need to be careful not to do that. We need to acknowledge and assign the fact that his glory belongs to him. And that everything we do really is because he has blessed us. You know, when I see guys score a touchdown and they point up to the sky, you know, I, I hope they're not saying, Mama, did you see that? You know, I, I hope they're saying, hey, that's, you know, that's only because God gave me these legs and gave me this opportunity. I hope. But look what it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. It says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. It's not saying create some kind of glory so you can offer it to him. It's saying recognize, ascribe, acknowledge. Acknowledge that God deserves all the glory right now. Just acknowledge it. Just confess it. Just say it's so. That's how we give him glory. We, in a sense, don't take it for ourselves. That's how we give it to him and give him the right to have it. And folks, that's, that's got to be part of our, our lives as a Christian, is to give God the rightful place he deserves in our lives and give him the rightful place he deserves in our church and in our families. third thing I want you to see is that worship must be done in spirit and truth, according to Jesus. In John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, there's a little discussion going on of where we should worship. Where is the right place for us to worship? And Jesus says this, he says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Did you know God was seeking them? God is seeking such people that will worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now what does that mean? Our spirit, in essence, is all of the part of who we are uh, except our bodies. You know, when we attend a funeral and we uh, see the body laying in the casket, we realize that that's just the shell of the person. That's not the essence of who they are. The essence of who they are was a spirit that lived inside that body, that took up residence in that body, and the spirit no longer is in the body. According to the Bible, the spirit is made up of the heart, the soul, and the mind. 
The heart refers to our emotions and our feelings. That's part of our spirit. The soul refers to our personality, who we kind of are. That's part of our spirit. And the mind refers to our intellect, our ability to think, and our will, our decision-making. That's also part of our spirit. And so when it says God is this spirit, if we want to worship him, we have to worship him with our spirit. It means we have to worship him with our whole selves like that. Our emotions, our feelings, our personality, our intellect, our will, all of that needs to worship him, to give him the honor and glory that he deserves. Now, listen, I know that I'm one of those guys that's kind of in touch with my feminine side, and I get emotional about things. I get that. You don't have to rub that in my face, okay? Uh, uh, but, but listen, when we come and we sing the songs that we sang this morning, and, and we come together to worship together, I want to just challenge you that if you could come and do that week after week and not ever be touched by that, not ever be moved by that, there might be a disconnect in your spiritual life. I, I don't mean you've got to come in and ball like a baby every week, okay? But if you could come in and sing week after week that the God of the universe, the creator of everything looked down and saw you and I in our sinfulness and just out of his sheer compassion and love for us, he said, I want to save those people. Those people that are thumbing their nose at me, spitting in my face, sinning like crazy. I want to save them. I want to save them for myself. So I'm going to buy them with my son. I will send him to earth. I will let him go to the cross willingly to give his body and blood to buy them back. And I will do that because I simply love them. Folks, if that doesn't get you from time to time, there might be a disconnect somewhere in your spiritual life. We are emotional creatures. We are people that should respond to things. And when we hear those things, when we recognize and realize that that's, that's really true, that should do something to us. Now listen, I, I know our personalities come into play there. That's part of our spirit too. I make the analogy all the time, and I'll keep making it because I think it's very accurate. If I went to a Chiefs game, if I went to that Chiefs game yesterday with a, a few friends of mine, and when that first touchdown happened, a few of my friends would have stood up and golf clapped. Oh, did you see that run back? That was great. That's, cause, that's just who they are. Kind of laid back people, okay? Just who they are. Some of my friends would have kind of stood up and gone, Yeah, that was awesome. Did you see that? And they, okay. and, and they would have been a little more excited and, and they'd be looking at those people golf clapping in their chairs, going, What's wrong with you people? And then I would have been over here with my other friends, you know, jumping up and down in our chairs, banging the seats in front of us, going, you know, high fiving everybody we could reach, all these people we don't even know going nuts. I understand that's my personality, okay? And God wants us to worship Him with our personalities. One of the things we try to do here at Fellowship of Grace is to provide an atmosphere and an environment where there's a certain level of freedom to worship based on who you are. Okay? Not all of you are like me. Thank the Lord. And not of us are all like you. Thank the Lord. And that's why there's people in our church that, that when, uh, you know, when we uh, worship, when we sing, when we do things, you know, some people will lift their hands and there's somebody standing right next to them with no pressure to lift their hands if that's not what they feel. 
There are people that close their eyes and look up and some that fold their hands and look down. And, and there are times when I uh, feel led to kneel. I mean, they're just, it's just who we are, folks. We want to give you an opportunity within the bounds of uh, non-chaos uh, to just be who you are, but to worship genuinely and authentically the God who loves you and his son who died for you. That verse says that we not only should worship God with our spirit, in spirit, but also in truth. And what that means is a couple of things. One of, one of the things it means is within the truth of God's word. God's word does set up some uh, boundaries for us. Uh, the Bible says very specifically that God is not a God of chaos. He doesn't want people swinging from the chandeliers and going crazy and jumping up over the chairs and just being chaotic <coughs> and drawing a bunch of attention to themselves. He wants all the glory because it's his, or it should be. And so there are boundaries that are, that are set, and so he wants us to, to live inside those boundaries and to worship him and live for him inside those boundaries, but it also means the truth of who he is and who we are. Now think about that for a minute. What he's saying is, I want you to worship me with your whole heart, with your whole self, and I want you to do it honestly, recognizing who I am and recognizing who you are. That's humbling, folks. That is deeply, deeply humbling. When I stand here and sing or, uh, you know, pray or whatever, and I realize that Man, the, the God of the universe even wants to acknowledge my existence. It's humbling. But when I see that he loves me and he cares about me and he wants to use me for his honor and to serve him, man, it just humbles me. God wants us to be honest with who we are and who he is and how we relate to him. That's part of our worship also. You know, there are many acts that can be done to worship God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. I want us to talk through a few of them. We incorporate these all in our Sunday morning service. And I want you to see that they're biblical. This is not something, you know, we've got to figure out how to fill up an hour. That's not what we do here. Okay, the first one is praying. Corporate prayer is seen many times in the New Testament. I want us to look at Acts chapter 4, verses 24 to 31. Here we see the apostles and the disciples in corporate prayer. They're praying together as one. And look what it says. <clears throat> and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, they didn't sing, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken 
and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, their corporate prayer was effective, mostly because they were praying for something that was absolutely within God's will. What they're saying in this prayer is, God, we, we recognize that all the people around us, the Gentiles, uh, the Jews, uh, uh, Pontius Pilate, Herod, they were all against you. They were all against uh, your son, Jesus. They're all against us. God, we pray for boldness to speak the word of God boldly. Help us, God. Help us. And it says they got through praying, and they went out and spoke the word of God boldly. God answered their prayer. Now, I don't want to give the impression that God is some giant bubblegum machine. We put in the prayer and get it back what we want. It's not how it works. But when we earnestly ask and beg God to, to use us the way we already know he wants to use us, he will do that. He will answer that prayer. And so when we come together and pray corporately, together, you know, we just, we just pray according to God's will, expecting him to answer. We want to give him the rightful place he deserves, worship him in our lives and in our church. And so corporate prayer is always going to be a part of our service. Also, there is singing. It's not the only kind of worship, but there is singing. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We see in this passage that God wants us to use singing to teach and admonish and encourage one another. We don't just listen to these songs and you know, pick out a song. Hey, I heard a song that was pretty cool on the radio. I think we should do it at church. We don't pick them out that way. We listen very intently to what they're teaching, to the doctrine that's in them. Uh, we decide if they're the kind of style and, and, and in a sense, a, a, a spirit of the song that would minister to our people and teach and admonish and encouraging us. I'm, I'm considering uh, next week uh, preaching uh, on strictly this whole music thing and just talk about the truth, the lies, and the myths about church music because there's a lot of all of those. Uh, you, know, there's, you know, what do we do about shouting or clapping or raising our hands or kneeling? What do we do about all those things? Are they biblical? Are they not biblical? You know, what, what are, you know when we clap, you know, for instance, when we clap at the end of a song, uh, I hope everybody understands, and you may not. We may look at this next week. You may get two weeks of this. But, uh, you know, we're not, we're not saying... Oh, good job, band. That was awesome. You guys played that really cool. That's a cool song. That's not what it, hopefully that's not what anybody's clapping for. When I clap at the end of a song, I'm saying, right on, God, what they just sang, what we just sang. That's true. I'm in. Yes. Nice touchdown, Jesus. That's what I'm clapping. Okay? I, yeah, Jesus died for me. Woo! He's overcome death, hell, and the grave. That gets me excited. I want to clap. So we may talk about that next week. I'm not sure yet. You have to come back to check and see. Not only singing, but also preaching is a part of uh, uh, biblical worship. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. 
<coughs> now there's a lot of really uh, great leadership doctrine in this passage. I don't want to take too much time on it. But when it says here, he gave, what this really means is he's, God has given these men as gifts to the body. He hasn't given these men gifts. He has given these men as gifts. The apostles and the prophets have written the scriptures. That's why we don't have apostles and prophets in our church. Okay? Uh, but we do have evangelists and shepherds, teachers, pastors. Shepherds and teachers and pastors are all the same person. But look what they're for. They're not to do the work of the ministry. It's not, you know, I'm not the paid professional that is supposed to do the work of the ministry of this church. We're supposed to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. What this passage is saying, believe it or not, God has given given you as the congregation, the pastors of this church, to equip you to do the work of the ministry to one another. It's not our job to do the work of the ministry and you guys sit back and watch. It's our job to say, you don't know how to make a visit uh, in the hospital? Let me show you how. You don't know how to share the gospel with somebody? Let me show you how. Let me teach you how. You don't know how to show love and concern for somebody who's going through a difficult time? Come and watch me. Let me disciple you. Let me help you. That's what we're for, so that you all are the ministers of the church. We're not the ministers. You're the ministers. We're, in a sense, just the equippers. We're the ones that teach you and help you and and, and encourage you to do it. But when you come and hear biblical preaching, that, uh, again, it ministers to your intellect, to your will. Hopefully, sometimes, you'll hear preaching here at Fellowship of Grace, and you'll walk out here going, man, I, I just really need to change some things. I just need to do some things different. I, I need to, that's, that's touched me today. What was said there, what he read in the scriptures, that, that ministered to me. I need to change some things. And that's why preaching is a part of worship. We also see that giving is a part of worship. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, just on giving, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do in Corinth. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Look what it says here in 2 Corinthians. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What that's saying is, is, look, each one of you in this church, you must give. Isn't that interesting? Each one must give. Okay, we can stop right there. That's a sermon. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, in his own heart. Not reluctantly, oh, okay, here comes the plate again. I'll throw something in. Not under compulsion, let me twist your arm hard enough so you'll finally give. Not under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because when, when that plate comes by and you go, yes, I get to do this again. It's an act of worship. We're saying, God, I recognize that you are the giver of everything. Anything that I have has been given to me because you've blessed me. And I'm giving some of it back to you to acknowledge that and to to, to symbolize that, to, to show you that I love you. 
to put some, you know, it's kind of where the rubber meets the road. I'm going to put some action to my talk. Anybody can say they love you, but God, I'm, I'm, I'm sacrificing because I want you to see that I really, 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 really do. That's why he loves a cheerful giver. Now, I know I'm kind of old school, and uh, there's something for me uh, that, that it, just, it just does something in my heart. It's an act of worship. When that plate comes by, I like having my envelope. And, and I like Julie fills out the, uh, the check because she's, you know, I get paid once a month or twice a month. She gets paid every week. And so our, our, our tithe is different every week based on what we've received that week. And so she keeps track of all that stuff and figures out the math because I'm not good at math. Okay? So I look and see, see how much we're giving. I go, oh, okay. And I put in that plate. I like to do that and see that, okay? Now Derek and some other people are trying to help me into the 21st century. And they're, you know, you can do that all online. You know, you can do all that online. I get that. But I said, don't you, when it, when it just comes straight out of your bank account, don't you kind of miss that kind of act on Sunday morning of saying, this is, this is something you've given me, God, and I'm giving it back to you. I, I, I love doing this. Don't you miss something like that? He goes, well, yeah, kind of. Uh, but I know it happens, and I, you know, get my bank statements, and I see it, and I, you know, I, okay. You know what we've talked about? We've talked about actually putting in those seat backs in front of you a little card that says, I gave online. Simply for the, for the worshipful art of saying, if I gave online this week, if, if, I, if I just have it you know, automatically deducted out of my account, I can take this out and remember that, that those things that I, I, I know, that God has given me everything and I'm giving back to him, I'm just doing that as an act of worship. It's not so anybody else can see what you do. That's, that, that's, that's the farthest thing from our minds. It's all about how, how do I connect with God through this? How is this an act of worship for me? And so giving is another way to do that. It's another important part of corporate worship. Lastly, we see the Lord's Supper is another way. And by the way, these are not the only five ways. There are many other ways that we worship corporately together. But the Lord's Supper is another one. Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now we're going to take the Lord's Supper here in just a minute. We're actually going to do this. When people come to Fellowship of Grace, they come from many different backgrounds and denominations. And, and, and many times people will say, well, I came from a church where we took the Lord's Supper every day. Or every week, not every day, every Sunday. Uh, why don't you guys do that? Well, first of all, the New Testament doesn't command that, okay? It tells us to do it, but it doesn't tell us how often. And so God gives us freedom when he doesn't, doesn't command. Here's why we don't do it every week. It's not because we're lazy and we don't want to fill up the cups every week, okay? There's a very strategic reason why we don't do it every week. How many of you 
when you get up in the morning and you're getting ready for your morning shower, how many of you stand there for a couple of minutes and go, now what's my strategy going to be today? Let me think through this. I think I'll start here and then I'll move over to here and I'll, I'll no, you just hop in, you just do it by rote, right? You just jump in, you don't even think about it, Okay. I, you know, my wife's a hairdresser, and so I jump in. I don't, I'm not even thinking about it, and there's some new shampoo thing in there that I don't even know what it is. I'm putting it on, and, and who knows what that is. I'll come with my hair blonde sometime, I'm sure, eventually. Uh, but, but you just do that by rote because you don't even think about it, right? We don't want the Lord's Supper to become so uh, common to us that it becomes meaningless. We want to do it occasionally, and we do it differently. You know, sometimes we pass the plates, Sometimes, like today, we're going to have you come up to one of these three stations and serve yourself. Uh, sometimes before, we've, we've had tables and, and chairs where people sit at those and they serve everybody at their table. We've done it in numerous different ways because we want to make it special. We want the focus to be on Jesus and what he's done for us. We want us to think about and really uh, just contemplate that the God of the universe sent his son Jesus to die for us. And Jesus willingly, willingly carried that cross up that hill when he took a beating like nobody else. He laid down on that cross and as they drove those nails, those railroad spikes through his hands and his feet, he willingly did it to pay for our sins. And when they pulled that cross up and it dropped probably about four feet into the ground and it just jerked every bone in his body he stayed there and willingly took it he gave up his body and his blood for us for no other reason but that he loved us we want you to think about that because it's really important it's really important to keep us focused on life and on the important things of life. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray here. And when I'm through praying, I want you to just, uh, at, at whatever time you feel led, you come up to one of these three tables and serve yourself and go back to your seat. Uh, uh, we invite anybody uh, who is here today who has received Christ as their Savior, who has put their faith and trust in Jesus to pay for their sins to participate with us. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. We are so thankful for this symbol of your body and your blood. Father, we are so thankful that your son Jesus gave himself up for us. Help us never take him for granted. Help us never take you for granted. Help us never to do this act as just another religious thing. But help us as we, as we take that piece of bread, help us to really acknowledge and recognize that your son gave his body for us. As we drink this juice, help us to recognize and acknowledge that he spilled his blood for us. Father, we are so unworthy. And yet because of your love, you saved us. God, keep us focused on worshiping you above everything else.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, worship is not limited to these five acts that we talked about today. There are many other things that we can participate in while assigning great value and worth to God. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So everything we, we do, going to work, driving down the street, taking out the trash, mowing the lawn, we can do it all to bring honor and glory to God if we do it with the right heart and a heart of service to Him. The last thing I want to share with you today is this. True worship always results in a response. Always results in a response. If these people really love their football team, and they love it so much, it demands a response. It demands a response. Yesterday when I was laying on the couch intending to be quiet, when I saw that play, I was compelled to respond. I was compelled. Folks, true worship results in a response too. And the response is service. Look again at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 and verse 8. He said, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. What He's saying is, look, Worship God with everything you are. And if you do that, it will compel you to respond. Folks, if, if people realize who God is, what he has done for them, who his son Jesus Christ is and what he has done, if we really get it, we are compelled. Like jumping off that couch and screaming. We are compelled to serve him. To serve him. So I want to challenge you. If you truly believe you are a worshiper, serve God and serve his people. His worship was so great for his father that it demanded a response from him, and he gave it at the cross. Although I could, you know, you could say he gave it consistently through that three and a half years, or really through his entire life. So how do we respond? How do we respond? Well, Folks, there's a couple of different ways you can respond. First of all, just serve somewhere, somehow. But one of the ways you can serve is where there's a great need. Now, I don't want to scare anybody, but there are now seven women in our church that are going to have eight babies over the next few months. Okay? And many of them serve in children's ministries. So that means over the next few months, guess what? Many of them are going to be taking some time off, and we're going to have more babies at the same time. So we're losing our workers, and we're gaining more children. And folks, that's just one way you grow a church. You can't help that, okay? But listen, if you don't serve anywhere here at Fellowship of Grace, you know a great opportunity is to say, hey, at least for the next six months, I'm going to serve uh, one, you know, one service I'm going to serve, and then the other service I'm going to come to church, and I'm going to do that for the next six months simply because there's a great need. And by the way, there's other needs in our church. There's other places to serve. There's other places to respond to God. There's other places to be compelled to do for others 
because we love him. But if you want to help out in the children's ministry, uh, in the Connection Center, or maybe the children's desk, I'm not sure which place, but there are these background uh, screens to fill out. Okay, if you'd like to have a background check done on you so that you can serve in children's ministries and serve these wonderful young ladies who are having babies, that's a great way to do it. Great way to just, just I mean, it's just the, the rubber meets the road right there, folks, okay? You've got a bunch of young women having babies, and we can help them, all right? But listen, I want you to, to do that, not because there's a great need and because the pastor begs you to do it, uh, but because you love God. And because you want to worship him with your life. And because when you worship him, it compels you to serve others. That's what today is all about. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word that guides us and teaches us and really gives us the truth. Father, thank you for creating even the concept of worship that we might give you the rightful place you deserve in our lives and in our church, in our congregation. God, help us to really worship you in spirit and in truth, with our whole selves, with all of who we are, and help us to do it in a way that's honest, understanding and contemplating who we are and who you are. Father, we love you. We, I just can't get over what you have done for me. Help us, God. Reach into our hearts. Help us to never get over who you are and what you have done for us. Help us to worship you with all that we are and to respond, as Jesus said, by serving you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.